Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. cinema and we're moving to these different places and then we're just listening to God and um, looking for open doors which is um, a a really good introduction to today's um, Bible passage because we're going to be looking, uh, we're in a series, we've been going throughout the summer looking at the seven letters that Jesus um, sent to seven churches in the the book of Revelation which is that book that people kind of get all freaked out about at the back of the, uh, the Bible and and do films about and stuff like that. And all you get to mention in films, hardly anybody actually reads it in context. They just pick out a verse and make it mean something it probably doesn't mean. So um, we're looking at it and we're looking at these kind of seven postcards, if you like, that Jesus sent uh, along the postal route. So you can see on the map from the island of Patmos, which is where the Apostle John was um, in exile and effectively in prison. Uh, he sends out seven postmen, seven messengers, seven angels, angelos, to go, and uh, the, they would, the seven of them leave Patmos together, and then they go from one to the other, and each one would probably stay with the letter at its church. So they'd go to Ephesus, and then go round and round in this, this postal route. So you can see that, that we, we're now on Philadelphia, is, uh, is six. We're coming near to the end of the series, and we're getting ready for another series we'll be starting when, when, as we said before, when we're all together at the forum, when we're going to start a new series. Um, based, uh, it's called Starting Over. It's based on a, on a book written by Dave and John Ferguson, and the guys behind New Thing, which is like a church planting organisation worldwide that we're connected to, and they're great guys. It's a fantastic series called Starting Over that we're doing. But we're in this one now. I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving looking at these different uh, letters. Um, so Philadelphia is a place we could have justifiably had a bit of an identity crisis because that's the that was like its name then, but it had it had had lots of different names, and various names. Um, and around that time, we were singing before you will not be we will not be shaken. But this was a place that was regularly shaken because it was always having earthquakes and volcanoes in the area, and every time. They had an earthquake, the whole city would pretty much crumble down to the ground and have to be rebuilt. And then Rome, a couple of times, actually paid for it to be rebuilt. And each time they paid for it to be rebuilt, they gave it a new name. So the people in the city um, were in this shaky place, not really sure of the identity of the place that they lived in. No sense of real heritage, because just as you built something, it would all come crashing back down again. And, um, you know, Philadelphia literally means brotherly love. Uh, nothing to do with Philadelphia cheese. I don't know why they call it that. Philadelphia literally is love of, 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 a, you know, of a brother. And it was because um, the guy who was in charge of the city at that time really loved his brother. That was the, the reason he had a brother. And he thought he was great. And so he called it the city that he was in charge of Philadelphia. That's nice, isn't it? And um, yeah, King Attalus of Pergamos. His name was Philadelphus. He is his nickname because... 
uh, he loved his brother that much. So let's read what the letter says. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. This is Jesus speaking. I, see, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and not denied my name. I'll make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I've loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I'll also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Do you know that? Jesus is coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. See, in each of these, there's something interesting going on, the things that Jesus is saying. Because how much is that going to speak to these people who keep having the name changed of the city? Jesus says, I've got a city coming. And I'm going to write my new name all over you. How encouraging is that? Um, we were singing before, I loved that song at the beginning, all about, I know who I am. Because I know who God is. Um, before I came here this morning, I got up early, went to the gym, and then had a sauna, which I like to do. And uh, there's guys in the sauna, we were just talking, and a few of them were saying about just the, you know, mental health and what stigma there is on mental health but these guys I don't know what one of them did but it was obviously some kind of professional and they were saying well, I'm just seeing more and more people who are struggling with mental health issues and he said and the reason is he says it's just like in this so much in this in this social media age people don't know who they are that's what he said people just don't know who they are and then we come in and we sing in a song about I know who I am do you know why I know who I am because somebody knows me I know Jesus. So I know who I am because I'm related to him. And so Jesus says to this church, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to give you an unchanging name, one that will stand forever. You're going to live as citizens of an eternal city that will never, ever be shaken. You're never going to have to evacuate again. You never have to go and run and hide. You're never going to have to move and pack up in the dead of the night and while everything's shaken up around you. You're never going to have to, to, to live in that kind of fear. You're going to have security. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can you put both fingers in your ears? Take one out. You can keep that in, if you just keep one in, it'll stop it going in one ear and out the other. <laughs> then Jesus says this, he's saying, you know, he's basically, listen. Listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. So in this summer series, we've been looking at just two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 2 and 3. And we've been seeing over and over again that Jesus really cares about his church. He's very interested in what's going on in these churches. Jesus cares so much that through his friend John, he dictates little postcards, little letters, where he says he knows exactly what's going on in their city. He knows exactly what's going on in their church. He knows exactly what's going on in their lives. And he's going to address that specifically. And he doesn't just say the same thing to all of these churches. He brings a very personal word, very specific word for the people who are going to receive it. Because... They needed that. They didn't just need a, oh, it's okay, God loves you, message. They wanted something. They needed something specific that would be in their world. 
engage with their issues and their problems and their questions. And time and time again, you get this refrain, but you get the same thing every time it says, Jesus says, I know. For each one of them. And then he tells them something about themselves. And sometimes it's something they don't want to know about themselves. Something they've been kind of hiding in some way. But Jesus is, I know. And sometimes it's something really good. Something he wants to commend. And he says, I know that. He commends them. As, you know, he's not just there condemning them, etc. He knows where they're strong. He knows where they're weak. He knows where they're struggling. He knows where they're triumphing. And if you follow this series through, you're going to know that you know, Jesus tells it like it is. He doesn't pull any punches if something needs to be said. He says it. Like last week, if you were here, Matt preached and, and we were looking at the church of Sardis. And this is this church that had a great reputation, but their reality was rubbish. It, it, people heard that it was alive, but actually, it was a dead church. There was no life going on in that church. And Jesus knows and he addresses that. And he said, wake up, it's time for you to come to life. And in these other, other letters, each one of them, as you go down that list, you can see different places, different people. He says what's going on and he tells it like it is. Sometimes we can be nicer than Jesus. Sometimes we can see things that are going on in a church or even in, it could be in, a, in somebody we would call a friend or, or, or whatever. We could, we could see somebody's kind of messing up their life. Maybe through, uh, you know, they're like through relationships or because of the way they're handling money or, or some business deals or, or, or something. And you can know something about them, know something about the situation, but be too nice to say anything about it. And we're afraid to do that. You know, actually, you know, that person, they could be really drinking, drinking too heavy or, or just kind of, you know, it could be anything. And we're like, well, it's not really my place. And then, when it all comes crashing down around them, we say, well, I knew that was going to happen. You knew. You didn't do anything. You didn't say anything. Jesus would say something, it would appear. Jesus would address it because he actually loves. Because he actually cares. It isn't uncaring. It isn't unloving to address some things that need to be addressed. There's a loving way of doing it, and there's an unloving way of doing it. But Jesus looks at a church, and if his people there, if he looks and he sees that there's like just a lack of passion and zeal, or if there's, if there's sexual immorality taking place, or if there's false teaching and people dragging people off into all kinds of error, if there's anything like that, Jesus nails it. Jesus speaks it. He says, not good enough. You need to change your mind. You need to change your action. That, that can't continue the way it is. Because he's warning them of the danger. He can see where it's heading. And sometimes he doesn't speak very softly at all. He'll just come in, he'll speak very strongly. And some of the churches, there was a mixture of good and bad, and he always starts off with the good. And he commends all kinds, anything he can find to commend, he commends. But then he'll say, but I hold this against you. Here's your problem, and he'll bring that as well. Again, it's caring to correct. And then out of the seven, there's only two churches... And this is one of them. The other one was at Smyrna where there was a lot of old persecution. And all he says to them is, I love you, I love you, hold on. He encourages them, be strong, stay strong. I know you're going through some hard times. I'm with you. Don't give up. That's, that's all he says. No, no con condemnation at all. No correction. Just encouragement. And it's the same here in Philadelphia for different reasons. All he does, all he brings, is encouragement, encouragement, encouragement to them. Oh, now, do you think that's because they were perfect? 
in this church. Not at all. There's no such thing as a perfect church. You know what they say about the perfect church. If you find the perfect church, you'd better leave because you're only going to spoil it. <laughs> this church was not full of perfect people. There's no perfect church. Because actually, you know, if you, if, you've, if you used to come to church and you're kind of just here as a guest or checking this out or whatever, and you're like, yeah, but, you know, church people are hypocrites and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, come and join us. There's always room for one more. <laughs> because... Everybody has standards of things that they think everybody should do, but then they fall below themselves. So the qualification for being part of a church is to be imperfect. And so recognise, I, I need help, I need a saviour. I mess up. I need grace. The book of James says, we all make many mistakes. Anybody else encouraged by that? Yeah. Oh yeah. See, we don't know all that much about this little church but oh how they became Christians but the Bible says everybody sinned and fall short of the glory of God and so the, the only reason they only get encouragement is because Jesus is kind Jesus is so kind he's not going to lay anything on them you know do you know God's like that when you think of God do you, what kind of God do you think of some people reject God out of hand, and I'll talk to you about what kind of God they think he is, and they've got this picture you can see before long of an angry, judgy, nasty, picky, you know, looking in the law book, trying to find something wrong kind of a God. And I reject that God too, because that's not the real God. That's not the God of the Bible, that's not Jesus Christ. That's not, see the real God is easy to love because he loves us so much, and he's, he's, a, he's like the most wonderful, perfect father you could ever imagine, times by a million, times by a billion, and he's slow to anger, and rich in love. That's our God, and we've not even scratched the surface of our goodness. And here in Philadelphia, the church just gets encouragement, encouragement, and, and some people, maybe some people in the room here, maybe you've had loads of encouragement in your life. Other people perhaps haven't had that much encouragement in their earthly relationships in your life, but you know what, it's hard to flourish without encouragement. The Bible um, you know, talks a lot about encouragement, but the dictionary definition I looked at for encouragement is, encouragement is what gives confidence, what makes something more likely to happen. So that's a good reason to encourage children to be in church and to dedicate them to God. As a good parent, Nick and Jenny are wanting to encourage Micah, and not just Micah, but their other children too, to, to grow up to know God. That's really important to them. So guess what? They bring them to church, whether they like it or not. That's what we did with our kids. And there were times they didn't like it. But we said, we go, whether you like it or not. And guess what? In the end, they all like it. I'm glad I didn't give them the option. There's times I don't like it. And I lead it. <laughs> so, what this letter is all about, actually I do like this church all the time, <laughs> that was just a lie, I was, I'm being honest, I really like this church, so, if you need encouragement today, it's all in this letter, because Jesus, just to summarise, basically says, I know what you've been going through, I know it's been hard, you know what, you're doing well, keep going. Just keep going. There are opportunities that are putting all around you. And there's open doors. Go for it. I'm with you all the way. Now, 
Hundreds of you have ever been in an earthquake? Wow, that's quite a lot. Scary, isn't it? I was in an earthquake um, in Haiti. And um, I was with Andy Hawthorne, and he was on the toilet. <laughs> he was in a little hut. We were at this, we, it was just after the big earthquake in Haiti, and we went in with Compassion UK to, where we have links as a church to, to go and, and, uh, and do some relief work, if you like, and help out. And it was a devastating scene. Death everywhere. And we went to this place where there was like a, a field hospital that had just been effectively, well, it literally was a field hospital. It was in a field, and there were doctors and nurses just doing their best with it, as best they could there. And um, Andy went to the loo, and there was this aftershock, which, which you know, registered high on the Richter scale. And, and we've been told, if you're in any room, when the, get out. <laughs> And Andy, Andy was like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> and uh, do I leave with my... Anyway, by the time he'd figured out what to do, thankfully the earthquake stops. <laughs> but you know, it's a, everything that you think is stable is no longer stable. It's just weird. Everything that you're used to standing on is just suddenly... And that's what it was like in this place for these people. So they needed something strong to be able to build on. And, um, and the people, as a result of living in this place, it also became a bit of a party town, Philadelphia, because sometimes, you know, when things are all shaky and you don't realize what's going on, a bit like the world is now, people just decide, you know, well, there's a person about to eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It's like, I might as well just live for today and blow it. Might as well just party on and you know, cash out everything and, and just enjoy today because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow with North Korea and Donald Trump. And... Yeah, seriously. So this region was very fertile because of the vol volcanic ash everywhere. So they were able to, to um, it, was a, it was great for wine and they just grew loads of vines and they, people, and it was, it was uh, the, the symbol of the city on the coins was the god Bacchus. Who was the god of wine? So this was the whole place was dedicated to, to like it was like 1830 land, really to be there all the time. And as if that wasn't difficult enough to be a Christian in, there was also a big Jewish population there who were very opposed to actually what was a Jewish sect. These Christians who had said that the Messiah had come and his name was Jesus and we believe him and we're like Jews because we follow a Jewish saviour called Jesus. But the people in the synagogue were saying, no, that's a cult, that's a sect. And they're opposing them. And they're, they're, saying, uh, to the, they're, they're, they're saying to the Romans in charge of the place, these guys don't worship God properly. They're not worshipping the god Caesar, like we all do. Because Caesar was named as a god, the mission at the time, he named himself as a god. They're not, they're not doing that. So there's all this opposition that's coming. And yet in the middle of that, Jesus just encourages them, stand Stand strong. And if you do that, I'm going to make you pillars. What a picture that is. Who wants to be a pillar in a place where there's earthquakes? Pillar in, I'm going to make you a pillar, though, he says, in my temple. So I'm going to build something that cannot be shaken with you. There are pillar people in churches. There are people who stand strong in churches. Are you a pillar person? I say the congenitor, pillar people here at Ivy. And, um, you know, we all have shaky times that we go through. And sometimes you can see who the pillar people are in the shaky times. 
So, let's look at the passage. The words of the Holy One. The true one. Jesus says, that's my name. I'm holy and I'm true. Whatever anybody else says, whatever everybody else does, I'm the eternal one. I've got an incredible view from above. I see what's going on. You can trust me. I'm sovereign. I hold the keys of David, he says. Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, was written over 500 years before as a messianic prophecy of the one who was to come to Israel. And the Messiah, it says, will be the one who holds the keys. He said, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one could open. So Jesus, 500 years later, says, that's me. I'm the one with the keys. I open the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is now this place where, well, God will come and, we'll, and the king will set up residence in any and every willing heart that's open to him. He says, I, I hold the keys. Another passage in Revelation, he says, I hold the keys of, of death and hell. Jesus holds those keys because he died and rose again. So he says, I open doors at my discretion. I close doors as well. Nobody can open Unless I've opened it. Nobody can close it. I'm the one who opens. I'm the one who closes it. I hold the keys. Keys always represent power in the Bible. So does anybody need God to open a door today? I wonder. Just as you think about that. Is there something you think, do with an open door there? Do you need Jesus to open a door? He can open a door. Or is there, maybe there's a door that needs to be shut in somebody's life. It could be from the past. It could be like a, a relationship but actually, just, that just needs to be finished. Something needs to be done with and closed. He can do that too. Jenny and Nick, God has opened the door for you. Your whole family. You were listening to his voice, the one who is holy and true. And maybe not everybody knows this, but as he has a plan for this family, he has... As their pillar people here in our church, he's called them to go for a year to go to Swaziland. And they've been faithful here. They've not just been waiting for God to use them somewhere. They've been being used by God here. That's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes people are waiting for God to use them and God's waiting for them to be useful. So all these years you've served so faithfully here, done incredible stuff. And now he's opened the door. A different door for you. You didn't open that door. You weren't strong enough to open that door. I know, we prayed with you. And there were times you didn't know that, that door was going to be open. But you stayed and you prayed. And then God has opened the door. Jesus opened the door. You know what happens if you try and smash through a door and it's a locked one? You get a headache, don't you? You, you end up hurting yourself on that. You get hurt. But if the door's open, you can walk through. It's all good. So many people here at Ivy, you know what? God has opened the door for you. God has opened the door for you. There are people you can help every single day. People you can love every single day in Jesus' name. People you can tell about him every single week. There are doors. There are doors around you. Sometimes church people sit around all, well, sometimes for years. What are you doing? I'm waiting for a sign. Listen, you don't need a sign when you've got a door. walk through the door. There are open doors all around us. There are places you can serve here in the church on teams. Gordon just mentioned this. There's ways that you can serve here. 
any week that you're willing, there are jobs. Talk to us. There's things you can do. It's not tough to find a place to be able to do that. It's really not. It's not hard because some people do it really quickly and easily. In fact, it's not hard to find the will of God. Love God and love people. Everything else is details. Don't be like waiting for another five years and 17 more prophetic conferences and somebody has to give me a word and a dream and a, you know, whatever. And then I'll maybe, no, there's something you can do. And I usually find it, as you do that, God opens another door. And as you're in that room, God opens another door. We don't need a sign, we already got a door. We just have to be willing to follow God's voice and walk through the door that is already open. Because he's the one who holds the keys. Notice he says, I know your works. That could be good or bad news. Grow group leaders here at Ivy. Jesus knows all the preparation that you put in, all the hospitality, the care that you give to people week by week. Sometimes people serve and don't get much gratitude. It's hard to, I'm sorry, can't do it, but Jesus knows. Anybody who served up served here early and welcome team and anybody who's going and signed up and is part of the road so he's telling children about it you, people do all kinds of stuff and they don't get noticed up front like I do but anybody who prays for people like me or for Andy and Lucy who lead this church Jesus knows those who generously gave or give in the offering there's a time in the gospels this freaks me out it says Jesus went and he stood and he watched what people were putting in. And I'd be like, whoa, rude. You can't do that. He says Jesus was watching what people were putting in the box. It's got to be a bit uncomfortable, hasn't it? And it's like, and it's like, and then he went, and it's like, he actually knew what proportion they were giving. Never mind the amount they were giving. He knew what proportion they were giving. Jesus says, I know your works. It all matters to him. He loves the church. Now I meet the church leaders who ask me to tell me, tell me about the ministry that's going on at Ivy and half the time. I have to say, I don't know. Loads of stuff. There's all kinds of things that people are doing. In here, from here, through here, in different ways. So many things. I don't know, but I'm comforted to know Jesus knows. You know, I try my best to thank people as much as I possibly can, but there's probably more that I can do to thank people. But anybody who's serving, anybody who's loving, anybody who's giving, I don't know it all, but, but know this. Jesus knows. And he notices. Somebody knows if you're leading. Somebody knows if you're serving. Somebody knows if you're giving. And to be honest with you, Jesus also knows if you're just consuming. If that's what you think your part of church is, I am served. I come to... Be served. I keep a seat from being empty. Jesus knows. And the uncomfortable thing is probably we know that too. If that's us. And I'll be as nice as Jesus here and say, if that's you, maybe something needs to change. Maybe there is a place where you could... Serve too. So let me be clear about this. I'm going to be finishing in a minute. If you're a guest here, you're completely off the hook. No expectations. We like you. It's all fun. Just enjoy. <laughs> and if you're not a Christ follower yet, it's just grace. 
It's all about that. That's Christianity. We just need, we just, you just need to say yes to that. The Bible says we are not saved by good works. There's nobody good enough for that to happen. We're saved by the good work of Jesus Christ. He was the only one good enough to be able to do that. But it also says we are not saved by good works, but he does say we're saved for good works. That he's prepared in advance that we should walk in them. There's things that he wants you to do. Actually, your life won't be fulfilled just by you going and making money and doing the stuff that you do in the week and all those kind of things. There'll be things that God has got planned for you that he wants you to use to do assignments for him. And you're never going to be fully satisfied until you find out what they are and actually get doing them. We're saved for some good works as well by Jesus. So there's some things that God would have us do. Maybe some things you, God, would have you do. And you know, usually it involves serving, which is like picking up a towel the way Jesus did it, and getting on your knees, and just depending on the Holy Spirit to supernaturally lead you to, to do the thing that maybe nobody else will do in the room. That's what Jesus did. The thing that nobody else is doing, maybe that's the thing God wants you to do, because that's what serving looks like. And then as you do that, God will open a door. It might be in Swaziland one day, or it might be in Stretford, it might be in Stockport, or it might be in Charleston. But there are open doors for all of us. And this is where, it's in these places actually, it's in Charleston, people find out whether or not you are Dependable and servant-hearted, and, and you know, can I just say a word about anybody who's been sort of sitting there thinking, "Yeah, but I've got a closed door." I, I was doing something. I got a closed door. Stop complaining about it. God knew what He was doing when He closed that door. He sees the big picture. What if He was protecting you? What He was? What if He was saving you? from something because he sees something you don't see he sees the big picture why not say thank you Jesus why not say I can't see it yet I don't know what you're doing but I'm going to thank you I'm going to trust you for who you are and by faith I'm going to believe that at the right time there's going to be an open door or maybe I'll look around and I can see it now or maybe that door that I thought was short I'm going to give it another push because Jesus says knock and the door will be open Maybe I just need to give it a push. Maybe it's not, I'll, I'll look around, where's the open door? Jesus says there's going to be an open door. There are open doors. So instead of complaining and camping out at the closed door that he didn't open, whenever that was, maybe it's time to get up and get on and go through the open door. Jesus knows your works. What works are you working? Who are you caring for? Where are you serving? Where, who are you leading? Who are you influencing? Jesus knows. He knows your works. He knows every gift, every talent. And unbelievably, when we, even though he gives it us all, when we use it, I'll give it, and give it back to him, he says thank you. And let's look around this church, I have to say, I know so many people serve in all kinds of ways, in the church and outside of the church, so very well. I'm blown away all the time. And, and, but the truth is also that across our sites, we have some people who are serving and working really hard, like, like doing like three tasks, maybe. And then there's other people who are just not doing much of anything. And now, if that's because somebody's in a hard season, 
and they just need to receive, we, we, we're all over that, that's fine, we'll do that. But you can't live in that place. That's not who you call to be in Jesus. Like money again is a is a great test. Jesus used it as a biblical test of commitment. He would look at, at that and, and and last time we checked, last time I looked anyway, in terms of regular income of people that would say we can identify are regularly giving to the church, not just occasional, oh, there's the plate, or forgot my pocket, which is, you know, we receive everything with thanks. But I'm so I'm talking about regular I have made a decision that this is out of the proportion of everything that God's given me, I'm going to give this much. And we, you know, this is just something regularly. There's about 25% of the people who come to Ivy who've made the decision to regularly give something, anything, regularly. And that's who we do our budget off. That's what we do our budget off. We don't do it off. We don't, like, take a flyer on, well, maybe there's a millionaire going to come this week. Who's feeling super generous. We don't do that. We budget off how much people give how much they're regularly going to give so and there are some givers and we're so grateful to that and there are also some consumers which are you and I don't know and when I look around everybody just sort of smiles at me like oh yeah not me <laughs> but Jesus knows so this next word this next word is for the workers Unashamedly, this next bit is for the faithful ones. The people who've decided that when the world shakes all around and they're going to be full of people because Jesus is building something eternal and they want to be a part of it no matter what. So they're going to do whatever it takes and love and serve. Jesus says to them, see, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you've not denied my word. You've kept my word and you've not denied my name. Three words that are open, that open doors. Three words that open doors. None of them are open sesame. <laughs> They all begin with D, and they describe the kind of people Jesus opened, opens doors for. Really quickly, three. Number one is dependent. He says you have little power. If you know you've got little power, you need to depend on somebody with great power. If you know you can't, you need to depend on somebody who can. Jesus looks at this church and he says, I know, we, I know there's not many of you, and I know you're nobodies, and I know you haven't got lots. And I know that you're probably not the biggest, strongest, richest church out of all these seven that I'm writing to, but you depend on me. Keep on depending on me. Never forget, when you're weak, I am strong. I am dependable. <coughs> Number two is, is dependable. So they're dependent and they are dependable. He says, you've kept my word. They hung on to the truth about who Jesus is. Even though they were persecuted for it. Even though all around them the pressure was on them to not talk about Jesus. They kept on talking about Jesus. See, while I'm, while I'm saying this, can I remind you actually about dependable. That keeping your word is part of being used by God too. This is like, if you say you're going to be there, will you be there? If you put your name down, does that mean you'll actually turn up? People can rely on you. I'll be honest sometimes. Some, somebody doesn't turn up to do what they said they would do. And there's a good reason for it. And that's fine. And then there's another good reason for it. And that's fine. And then the third time I think, well, that's who you are. You're somebody who says you'll do it, but you don't. And you think that's the same as doing it. But it isn't. And after a bit, all the people around you, sorry, they get to see that too. They get to know that you're not actually dependable. But the, these believers in Philadelphia... We're dependent 
and they were also dependable. This is why they were pillars. Number three, they were devoted. We talked about this in the dedication before. They've not denied my name. Jesus says, I know you've had problems, I know you've had pressures, I know you've had persecutions, but don't worry. I'm on it. I know what's, good, what's happening, and I'm going to bring you through this time as well. See, the book of Acts talks about the earliest believers, and it says that there's something about them. They were devoted to God in a particular way. We'll put the passage up for that. It says they devoted themselves to the Bible's teaching and to one another, basically. They devoted themselves to God, to what he said, and to one another. Now, notice it says they devoted themselves. Who is responsible for devoting you to God? Point to the person chiefly responsible for your relationship with God. Don't point at me. I'm pointing at me. <laughs> I've got no trouble with me. See, when Micah's this age, he's responsible for his parents to devote him to God. But then there comes a thing called growing up. And it's down to you. And I, I devote myself, but the way I do it is pretty much every day I've woken up since I died and came back to life in Jesus 31 years ago. I wake up in the morning and I say, Lord, today I'm yours. And not much, but if you can use anybody, you can use me. And I've messed up in the past and I'll mess up in the future and I've got little strength. But if it's true, and I believe it is, that you'll forgive my mistakes. And if it's true, you can use anybody, like you say, you can use anybody, then two words my most regular prayer, dangerous prayer, use me. Use me. And he does. Because he's prepared good works in advance that I should walk in. And then, and then in the day, what I'll find is sometimes he'll just open a door. That's what it looks like. It's like there's an open door. There's, a, there's an opportunity there. And it's like God opens a door that no man can shut. And I walk through that. And then I find I'm in a different place. And there's a place for me now to serve and to do something. I'm in that place until suddenly he opens a door there. And I, and I go to that door and I open that and then I'm in a different place. And this is how he leads us through all kinds of open doors. And then he, the, the exciting thing is you never know where you're going to end up when you're living with that kind of adventure. And there'll be another time I'll come up and I'll go, oh, there's an open door. And I'll oh no, it's shut. Do you know what I've learned to do? Thank you, God, for closing that door. You're wise. You're, you're my father. You, 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 you shut that door for a reason. I, I'm glad I'm not going through it right now. Where's the open door? Oh, there's the open door. Because he's, he's put an open door, isn't he? Sometimes I've just got to stay there a bit and learn and love and wait and grow and serve and be patient and then you go to another door which is like, it's like those automatic doors John Lewis posh doors and he didn't even have to push it if you're able to stand would you stand and pray Um, wherever you are right now Jesus knows 
wherever you're at in your relationship with him. Whether you feel like he's a million miles away, you know what, he's not, he's right here. If you think he's a million miles away, you're dead wrong. Because he knows your name, he knows your address, he knows what's going on in your life, the ups and downs and the problems and the struggles and the joys, he knows it all because he knows you, he knows your name. And he's, there's another passage when Jesus says, uh, seek and you will find. He says, uh, ask and you will receive. He says, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everybody, the one, to the one who knocks, the door will be open. So maybe you've got to knock. Maybe you've got to actually do something and say to God today, all right, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to trust you to do your part. Maybe some people, that word about a closed door, you need to just, you need to turn your back on something from the past or something that maybe it was the old dream and you need to let that just just not get in the way of the new dream that God's got don't hang around by the closed door just say God where's the open door into the new thing that you've got for me you know there's like that, maybe that closed door would just lead back to the old life Turn away from that. Look for the open door that's leading into something fresh and new. God, I believe that as we're in this, these moments by the Holy Spirit, you're speaking to hearts and minds here, but people are open to this to, um, to say, lead me, take me. through. That most dangerous prayer that could lead you to, as I say, across the office or out of the country, different street or a different whole different world it's just a use me prayer two words that change everything that open doors no man can show so if you're brave enough as you're standing there why don't you just pray that prayer say to God use me if you can use anybody and you can use me I have little strength but you have great strength but there's open doors before and I'll walk through them. Give me courage to step through the door that you open. Because I know that I'm never going to go through this door alone. Just know that when you go through, he's not asking you to walk through this door on your own. But he's right there with you. He holds the key, he holds the door, and he holds you too. Just as we uh, worship now, if, if you'd like anybody to pray with you about any of this, I'm going to be over there other people too, prayer team wise, who'd love to pray for you. Maybe this has been like a specific word for you and you feel like I actually need to respond in some way to it and sort of seal the deal with God. And I'd love to pray with you over in that call. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.